Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers. It will also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Hello and welcome to the second annual Strong Language and Violent Scenes Christmas Special. Hooray! I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. Ding dong, I'm Andy Stewart. How the devil are you, sir? I'm okay, man. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. I had an excellent dinner. Yes, you did. We're doing this with a belly full of beer, uh, wine and pasta. Yes, um, yeah, I'm on my third glass of wine. Feeling very good. Speaking of beer... There we go. The sound of success, as Duncan McLeish yes, once called indeed, it. Yes, indeed, yeah. But I'm not right about the time that I spilled a can of Guinness all over myself. Yes, exactly. <laughs> live on the mic. Didn't know how it So, last year was Christmas Evil. It was. Yeah, and a completely different kettle of fish this year. Yes. Now, I kind of bowed to your superior knowledge because we didn't really pick a film to defend. We just picked a Christmas film to talk about. Yeah, and to be honest, this isn't coming really from a place of recommendation so much as I just wanted to see your face while it was on. Yeah, I hope that worked out well for you. I thought (laughs) um, it did. I believe that your exact words when we were figuring out what to do for this was, do Jack Frost or something dumb. And we did both. <laughs> yes, we did, yeah. Who, who would have known that? Uh, I, I like that in my text, it was as if Jack Frost wasn't dumb. <laughs> it was like, do this highly scientific film, Jack Frost. Or something ludicrous. But here we are, we're doing Jack Frost. We are doing Jack Frost, going uh, back to 1997. Not to be confused with the 1998 film Jack Frost, the soft reboot. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the soft but uh, no less frightening reboot. Yeah, the whimsical family air quotes comedy. Well, yeah, yeah, but certainly... Uh, the one with Michael Keaton doesn't use icicle rape as a joke device. Yeah, and neither should this one. <laughs> we'll get to Cannot that. Cannot stress that enough. I'm sure. So, who's going to do the 30-second synopsis for this? Is my okay, question. I don't think it matters, but uh, I'll do it. Okay, cool. So does that mean that I, once again, take up the role of uh, Master of Time? Yes, you, you do. Yes, yeah. Old Father Time. Old Father Time. <laughs> I have 30 seconds on the clock. Are you ready? I am, um, yes. Let's do it. Three, two... One, go. On the way to his execution, <laughs> a convicted serial killer Jack Frost uh, is involved in a collision um, and then is then doused with an experimental acid which causes him to break down and for his molecules to merge with presumably ice and snow, um, causing him to turn into a murderous giant snowman. Uh, he takes over the town of Snowmonton and uh, yeah, he kills a lot of people. Uh, okay, I'm going to say that like you definitely got very economical towards the end. You could tell that you were on the clock. <laughs> um, but that is just about it, I suppose. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I would have possibly... I suppose. <laughs> probably would have mentioned embattled Sheriff Sam Tyler and his battle to catch Jack Frost for the second time and all that kind of thing. But I understand 30 seconds is not long. Yeah, and without the benefit of eyes on the clock, I have no idea how long I've got. You've really just got to batter in blind, don't you, and just do your very best. So let's jump into this thing. Yeah, let's. I think that the way that this opens is insane. So obviously what we have is a conversation between a kid and their uncle. The kid is being asked to be read a bedtime story. My first question is, why didn't they use a real kid for the voiceover? I was going to say, the fact that you're using kids is... uh... You're using that quite literally in terms of the story. Loosely in terms of what you're actually listening to. Yeah, because that is most certainly the voice of an adult. That's 100%, yeah. I actually think it's supposed to be a small girl. And what you're listening to, I would wager, is an adult man. It sounds like, you know that way when like sometimes you watch something and someone on it, like a grown woman's trying to be sexy? Kind of like the thing that E.G. Daly does in 31. Or uh, Teach Me How to Understand Christmas from Community. That That's kind of, exactly like, what I was just going to say. Yeah, that, that, that yeah. thing where, you, yeah. where like they try and do something kind of innocent sounding, but they just end up sounding like a baby. Yeah, like yes. really creepy. Like one of those dolls that like has a voice box in it. Yeah, it's horrendous. It's horrible. <laughs> I'm 
potently unsexy. Um, but which is good in this case because it's supposed to be a little girl. So it, it would have been much worse if I'd been like, and the opening is extremely arousing. Um, but no, um, what we have here ostensibly is a niece. I'm going to say niece. I'm pretty sure it was a girl. Asked right. her uncle to uh, tell her a story in voiceover. All of this sure, is, sure. Uh, unfolds, and the uncle starts telling her a scary story. Yeah, what did you think of the opening credits and so much as they kind of relate to detention or hard ticket to Hawaii? Yeah, the kind of them unfolding as Christmas decorations. Yeah. Or tree decorations. I quite like it. I like it. It's <laughs> yeah. like, it's daft. It very much sets the tone for the kind of nonsense you're getting yourself in for. Oh, I don't think it comes close. <laughs> that's supposed that's actually but yeah he basically tells this story that starts off talking about Jack Frost the serial killer yes. not Jack Frost the snowman as we will come to know him better but yeah and kind of the kid getting increasingly more panicked as he tells stories about the fact that Jack could very well still be at large and all this kind of thing so by the end of the credits we have seen a lot of tree decorations we have we've also heard the kind of exposition bomb which is the story of Jack Frost Yes. And, uh, and his crimes, his subsequent capture, and the fact that he was putting meat in Mrs. Puddle's pecan pies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And amongst his 38 murders, yeah. 38 murders? That's quite a score. It's a decent amount, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's more than John Wayne Gacy. There would definitely, if Jack Frost was a real-life murderer, there would definitely be a four-part Netflix miniseries about him, and loads of, like, ghoulish true crime people would be sexualising him overtly. And there'd definitely be an episode of The Last Podcast on the left. 100%. So, our story begins with Jack being on the way <laughs> to being executed. Yeah, he's and a- again, this is Jack the human serial killer, not Jack the murderous snowman. Sure, sure, sure. He has uh, been taken, which I don't, I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know a lot about the kind of death penalty system in America, but surely you don't get taken. I thought it was in-house, it was done in-house predominantly, so they don't have to take you off premises, but I don't think they would transport you in the state executional transfer van. I don't know, if it's going to be anything, it may as well be that. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for you though, didn't you say that the person who wrote this also wrote Identity? I did, yeah, yeah, the, the guy that wrote this also wrote Identity and said something along the lines of the budget of Identity was like $30 million. Mm-hmm. And I, the budget for Jack Frost was equal to the catering budget on Identity. Amazing. <laughs> uh, what I would say is interesting, and I think I'm going to say interesting as opposed to pointing towards hacky writing, but um, both of those films involve uh, somebody being on their way to getting executed and escaping. Both of those films involve killer snowmen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I hate identity. <laughs> yeah, you said that during the watching of Jack Frost. And the reason for that is that the only thing worse than a film that is crap for 90 minutes is a film that is good for 88 minutes and shite for two. <laughs> and that's what I think identity does. <laughs> right, okay. But yeah, they are kind of, they're, they're driving him uh, across state lines or certainly across the Snowminton County line. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for anyone paying attention or taking score here, the town, I mean, puns, the, the puns are off the chart in this film. Yeah, they're everywhere. Probably more than the, even the duck puns in Howard. That might be true. Actually. That might be true. But the, but the town that the events of the film take place in is mm. Snowmonton. 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 <laughs> I believe it's pronounced Snowmonton. Also, the people who are driving, the kind of officers who are driving in there are kind of weirdly festive, I would say, considering they're driving someone that who's about, who's about to be executed. They both have tinsel around their necks, and also they're listening to smooth jazz Christmas music, which, by the way, I think is the worst kind of Christmas music. Also, did you notice that they've got their, like, their heads together while they're driving because they have a very limited field of vision out the front windscreen? It's mm-hmm. like a, a tiny cone of glass that you could see through. Yeah, it's like quite a cosy affair. I think that you could, get, <laughs> you could kind of like... You could kind of shop out the music and replace it with driving home for Christmas and it would feel about right. Uh, it would have the same level of festiveness for sure. Absolutely, yeah. And it is around the time, of course, that they cross the Snowminton County line uh, where uh-huh. we realise that Jack has killed the officer that is in the back with him. Yeah, we do see Jack as a human here. I kind of wish we'd seen more of Jack as a human. <laughs> we do get kind of scattered glimpses of Jack as a human throughout the film as he uh, rants and raves about vengeance and uh, returning from the grave. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I could have done with Stella, maybe like 10% more. I was really into that I think uh, Scott McDonald, who plays Jack Frost, is doing decent work here. He's he's come out swinging from the the get-go. I think he knows what the situation calls for, and he's going hell for leather to deliver it. Yeah, even when he's essentially just a voice, and he's doing the kind of Brad Dourif thing. He's really really going for it. Super entertaining, I think. At this point, the transport vehicle, the Death Row Transit vehicle, Death Row Express, what's it called? The state... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wish it was called that uh, The State Executional Transfer Van Thank you very much At this point yeah. it collides with a truck 
It does, yeah. And uh, coincidentally, the truck is a government vehicle carrying experimental acid. Acidic solution, yes, I believe right. so. Okay. Uh, yeah, and uh, the acidic solution is inevitably spilled. What I do like is that the truck has a pressure gauge, which is handy for us, the audience, to know when it's getting close to detonating. That's <laughs> true. And, uh, it does, and it uh, jettisons its load. Oh, 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 oh dear. Uh, all over Jack, uh, it, reducing him to a bony puddle of skeleton. Yes, the acidic solution can um, apparently melt an entire human form, but not snow. Yeah, no, I've got no problem with the, with the destruction of Jack. I, I really like the way he kind of breaks down in stages. No, I think it's cool. What I think is probably depicted slightly less convincingly is uh, his DNA fusing with the snow. <laughs> what do you mean when it turns into like that cartoon at Jurassic Park that shows you how DNA is put together? Pretty much exactly that, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Mr. DNA! <laughs> Exactly. So, yeah. Uh, so, there's a horrendous collision. Jack the serial killer, not Jack the snowman, is sprayed with an acidic solution. He is reduced to a kind of gelatinous pile of rubble, which fuses with the snow for... Sure. Now, <laughs> do you want to talk me through the sides of this? I would rather not, thank you. <laughs> Did you notice as well when the van crashed and like one of the guards wakes up? He's got the other guard's boots in his face? Yeah. <laughs> That's silly. Yeah, like, yeah it's, like, it's the only thing about this that didn't really hang together for me. At this point, we have, I think, of the chronology hops that we've had um, on the films on this podcast, a fairly short one. Well, yeah, I think we're talking about 20 minutes or yeah, something. 27 minutes into the future or so. But if they're on the way to see Jack executed, right, which they are, I believe. Yep, that's right. Yeah, which, yeah. They're also taking their young son, which is demented. But they're going to be late. Well, at this point, we join Sheriff Sam Tyler and uh, his wife, Anne, and their 90s stereotype son, Ryan. Uh, Ryan has a hairdo that's straight out the Declan Donnelly 1990s book of shite haircuts, which I had, and I had the same haircut. (laughs) Uh, And it's not something I'm proud of, but I had those very long, very straight curtains. Curtains, yeah, yeah. And uh, I looked fucking preposterous. See, I never had that, but what I did have... um, so, Just had it in your beard. Because <laughs> you were born with a beard. Um, hard as it is to believe, uh, there was a time once when my hair grew in very thick. Right. Yeah, and I've seen photos. But like, I always quite fancied the idea of having like a kind of emo do, because I was listening to a lot of sure. emo stuff at the time. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I, had, I had like quite large glasses and a very thick fringe. And as a result, what happened was, rather than it kind of like flopping down over your eye like it was supposed to, it just kind of gathered in this awkward clump above my glasses. Right. No, it was... It was Mitch being an awkward dump, two words I would generally put together. Really? <laughs> you can see you're working on that one another time. <laughs> but yes, at this point we do get a little bit more uh, backstory on Sheriff Sam Tyler, who's obviously going to be the protagonist of not just this, but Jack Frost 2. Which we can't really dig into in too much detail because, one, I haven't seen it. Correct. And two, we haven't watched it. Nope, 100%. One kind of begets the other. Certainly, yeah. But um, we do learn that Sam himself was responsible for catching Jack Frost in the first instance. And what seems to be a very fortuitous circumstance, because it very much looks like he's just kind of pulled him over for speeding. It certainly does. Yeah, it's like when they caught Al Capone for not paying his taxes. It's like, it it really does feel like the scene where you see him being kind of captured, it's not like a standoff. It's not like there's been a siege or any kind of incident. It really does look like he's pulled him over for a busted taillight or something. Well, that's what happened to New York serial killer Joe Rifkin, who I think killed like 18 prostitutes. Okay. He was caught because he had... That's only half as many people as Jack Frost killed. I know, loser. Uh, he was caught for like for having a busted taillight. They pulled him over and then he also had a dead prostitute in his boot. Uh, yeah, good policing. 100%, yes. <laughs> but we do see that uh, obviously he's a little bit haunted by this notion or this kind of this memory of uh, Jack swearing revenge. <laughs> He uh, doesn't even so much swear revenge as he pretty much puts a curse on the sheriff's whole family and uh, damns him to an eternity of being afraid of Jack's return. Yeah, very much so. I'll find a way. Yeah, it's like, no matter what they do to me, I will get you. But um, what we do cut to after this is kind of like a little bit more of a kind of domestic bliss situation uh, for Anne, Simon and Ryan. Uh-huh. where um, they're all kind of having this nice moment in the kitchen where Ryan is asking about uh, Jack Frost and the mum and is giving him loads of assurances being like, no, Jack Frost isn't a menace to society anymore. Of course not, because your father caught him because your father is a hero. And Jack Frost is now dead. Jack Frost They, they believe at this yes. point that he has been, or he's certainly died in the collision. Yeah, exactly. Because they yes. do drive by and they're told that there's been an accident. Yes, that's right. And Ryan is toasting his, uh, his father's heroism by 
making him some food. Which looks a bit like gravel and marshmallows. Well, it'll come to pass that it's oatmeal. Yes, apparently so. Um, so I know we talk a lot about various things that could be considered Chekhov's items. Yes. Um, this film is full of them. Yes, this is the first of many. Chekhov's <laughs> yeah. oatmeal. So this is Chekhov's oatmeal. Uh. Yep, there it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Remember yep. this oat, this disgusting looking fucking oatmeal which the boy is scooping with a large spoon into a see-through <laughs> sandwich bag. <laughs> the Ziploc bag, yeah. His dad's like, what the fuck? What the fuck's wrong with this boy? Like, yeah, he's kind of doing the food equivalent of I'm going to put this right here on the fridge so I can look at it every day. He's like, oh, I'm going to save this for later. Yeah, thanks, son. As it falls in the bin of the way. Throw it away in the outside garbage. <laughs> I wouldn't feed this to my dog. Um, at this point, also, Ryan alludes to entering a snowman into the snowman competition. Sure. Because See why how this not? is going. Yeah. And uh, we do cut immediately to uh, the snowman building competition, which is persisting despite the apparent tropical warmth. <laughs> now, this is a real, uh, a real kind of sticking point with the film. Uh, even during the production, it was like 70 degrees. There was no snow. Uh, just about every bit of snow you see in the film is like cotton wool. Or sheets or powder. Yeah, yeah. like there's like snow on the kind of undulating hills behind, but it's very clearly just bits of white cloth. And everyone is cutting about resolutely wearing like parkas and Eskimo jackets and stuff. Um, they and must be was, fucking roasted. I was gonna say, yeah, like yeah, you'd, yeah, you'd sweat out a fucking stone, wouldn't you? <laughs> it was shot in the winter though, but I think it was coming. I read somewhere it was coming off the back of like a drought summer. Okay, right, right, right. That makes sense, I guess. Crash Course character introductions. At this point, we have Alt Kid Tommy. Yeah, yeah, Tommy, uh, who's making a snowman uh, with tits. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a character of that one. Yeah, this um, is going to come back to haunt him, his obsession with tits and women. Yeah, we also have Billy, don't get too used to him. Well, he, well all we know about Billy is he's a bully. Yeah. Bully Billy. Bully Billy, yeah. yeah. And also Jill in a featured debut for American Pie Shine Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah. Like, doing okay work here. <laughs> In spite of what she's called upon to do. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. She's, she's gamely giving it her all. And we do learn at this point that Jill kind of digs Tommy. There's a yeah, thing she, going yeah, on there. She's an him. She's an him. Tommy seems a bit more, certainly in this opening running, a bit more standoffish. Yeah, he's playing that look kind of cool. <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> which, uh, which, yeah, which I, I can't guarantee that I would do in that situation, so fair play to him. No, because uh, Shannon Elizabeth is beautiful. Yes, she is, that's correct. Off to the office at this point, they all get a little bit of um, a kind of feel for the day-to-day of Sheriff Sam's work. <laughs> uh, we also meet his surly receptionist, Marla, who uh, informs him that someone has died. <laughs> I, by the way, I don't want to zip past the joke about uh, male and female snowmen, which is also Chekhov's joke. Oh, yep, on you go. The joke is, what's the difference between male and female snowmen? Go on. Snowballs! Way! But seriously, a person's died. Yeah, I show the, the respect that it's due, given it's a character that we've never met and don't yep. care about. Yes, a frozen old dead man. Specifically, old man Harper. <laughs> who has uh, died in his rocking chair the way we all want to go uh, no sign of a struggle Mitch no no apart from the fact that his head had been snapped back violently in one fell movement apparently <laughs> they believe that the killer who did it was wearing large soft gloves <laughs> <laughs> yes I believe so yeah 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 I love that it's Mickey Mouse yeah, we do get some speculating about the death, including large gloves. Yeah, all, at this point, all signs do point to a homicidal snowman. Oh, sure, 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 sure. I'm a big fan of the M.E. in this, by the way. He's great. Uh, yes, big fan. Big fan. <laughs> Just, like, throwing out some... We'll get to it, but throws out some crazy theories. Like, connects the dots incredibly quickly that it's an otherworldly possessed snowman that might be doing this. He does He does believe. He, he believes very early on, like, with little to no proof I kind of feel like what happens here with him being so certain that it's a matter shifting snowman that is doing all these murders is kind of the opposite <laughs> of what normally happens um, you know how normally when you have someone kind of pleading a situation that sounds insane to people in a film like this what happens is that people don't believe them until it's too late and it's rarely the man of science who's the first man to claim that it's a matter shifting snowman it's not. Really, <laughs> I mean, statistically, that's undeniable. It's yeah. normally the like the town drunk or some unhinged lunatic. Absolutely, uh, but no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The best qualified guy in town for it <laughs> is the one who is espousing that theory first. Well, it depends uh, if you're a man of science or a man of God, because there is also a father priest in this town, and he has very little to do. Yes, very, very little. Even, even less, even less to do with uh, the mechanics of this murder. <laughs> uh, we do meet here for the first time on the phone, FBI man Agent Manners. Yeah, dressed like the milk tray man. 
Pretty much so, yeah, yeah, yeah. just as big a cunt. Yep, 100% right. Um, So he, air quotes, confirms Jack Frost's death on the phone. We obviously realise quickly that this is kind of a lampoon. Yeah. Um, and his doctor colleague are kind of up to something. Yeah, there's something there's something going on here. Right away, they're talking about how the acid solution is untested. It was never even tested on an amoeba. Certainly wasn't meant to be poured over a human being. Uh-huh. So we're realising that perhaps they know a little bit more about this wildly experimental substance that got sprayed all over Jack than they may be alluding to. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about the, the substance in some detail later. We certainly will. I'm not sure I understand the science of this chemical at all. I'm not sure it hangs together 100%, no. Uh, back to the Taylor house at this point. <laughs> Ryan's about to head out and uh, carry on making his snowman. He is, well. Uh, Anne returns home and realises there's the, the substance of a snowman built. It's yes. missing the key features, if you like. Yeah, like it, it, it's got your kind of classic three large snowballs. Yeah, the, the large three-ball structure. Yeah, the conventional three-ball structure. The classic, the nuclear three-ball structure. Yeah, which I've always found odd. Obviously, you have the large ball for structural integrity. Yeah. But as a figure, it makes a snowman look unwieldy. I agree, yeah. Yeah, surely the middle ball should be wider than the lower ball. I mean, like in an ideal world, yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to split hairs on this. Well, you probably better not to, but yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. But Anne comes home yeah. and finds a mess in the kitchen and at this point comments to Ryan that she's just finished cleaning up after his special oats. Well, he is roughly 13. He's at a curious age. So, yeah. <laughs> so, Taking all those fucking cardboard socks to the washing machine. <laughs> just drops on and it shatters. <laughs> Blows into his smithereens like that woman's face in Jason X. Exactly. <laughs> My favourite bit about this whole scene in the, the Tyler kitchen, just after the discussion about the special oats, is that the, uh, the Anne goes and gets the accoutrement required to finalise a, a snowman. And she's, <laughs> I think uh, I know where this is going, yes. And she sends... Uh, and she's uh, like, how about you go finish the snowman? Yeah, and she hands Ryan two carrots. And right away I was like, that to you. Why did she give him two carrots? <laughs> like, he only needs one nose. <laughs> How about you? How about you go finish that anatomically correct snowman, son? <laughs> He's got a dick that attracts rabbits. <laughs> so uh, Ryan heads out to finish the snowman while his dad Sam handles loads and loads of angry townspeople. I uh, want to know a little bit more about old man Harper's death. He suggests they go home to their families. Meanwhile, yeah, Ryan finishes the snowman, which uh, is indeed pretty impressive. I think it's standing about nine or ten feet tall. Yeah, but, but uh, I can tell you, everyone, that it does have the traditional eyes of coal. Does have the eyes cool, yeah, uh, yeah. The yeah. expected carrot nose, mm-hmm. a weirdly dug in mouth. Yeah, very heavily indented. And large eyebrows made of twigs. Which I think is a nice touch. It's a nice touch, but it does make your snowman look incredibly threatening. Yes, yes, evil, one might say. Which is fortunate, given that this is an evil snowman. Yeah, before his kind of Machiavellian activity is going to hit high gear, uh, he's set upon it by uh, punk kids on sleds. One of which is Billy. One of which is Billy, the ringleader of which is Billy. He's such a little asshole, there's no need for this. Yeah, he is a prick. I do actually think it's funny, though, that they come in and they're like, you're in the middle of an ice slope. Bitch, or whatever it is that they say. A black run. A black run. And um, and I think that he justifiably argues back, but this is my dad's front yard. Yeah, it's my garden. Fuck off, Billy. But uh, Billy's unrepentant, decapitates the snowman. He decapitates the snowman, which, uh, I mean... <laughs> Justice is instant and poetic. Here. Yeah, instant karma prevails as he is immediately decapitated when the snowman pushes him over and a runaway sled... Removes the young boy's head. Yep, it's pretty glorious, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And I then, mean, all, all the deaths here, I mean, like, the effects are ludicrous. And, and you can see the scenes on everything practical in this film, and it's <laughs> to its infinite credit that that is true. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not a great decapitation. It's very much a foam head, like a, like a mannequin head. Oh, it's a terrible decapitation. That's the fun. <laughs> it's a mannequin head wearing a bobble hat. <laughs> and then it cuts to what appears to be just someone covering up blood in the snow with more bloody snow. Yeah. I also want to talk about the fact that I like the fact that um, just before this happened, like the snowman's kind of previously benign face contorts into this vengeful visage right before it kind of swats him over. Yeah, so, I mean, if you're under any illusions as to where this film's going to go from here... Yeah, I think that they should all be pretty much dispelled by now. Yeah. Uh, The grieving parents of dead Billy turn up and understandably challenge the theory that their son was killed by a snowman. Yeah, they believe that uh, it was actually Ryan himself that decapitated Billy. They do indeed. Sam is uh, resolutely believing his son's version of events. Which is a bit crazy because... a fucking leap, isn't it? Considering his dad literally works in law enforcement. (laughs) He said it was a snowman and I have to believe him as my son. Mm Mm-hmm. Really? 
Is that how that works? Sam is continuing to be haunted by the idea of returning Jack, and this is kind of weighing very heavily on his mind at this point. Again, I think that the rapidity with which he's connecting dots here is alarming. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost as if the arrival of a potential killer snowman awakens memories of Jack in Sam's mind as if there was some hint of this in Jack's activities in the past. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost as if that was the case. We find out at this point that Billy's sister is Jill, Shannon Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really like that uh, Billy's dad uh, believes that uh, Ryan is touched by the devil. Yeah, we see a little bit of conflict. I don't know what the family's surname is, but Billy's and Jill's family. It's at this like Rosniak or something. <laughs> sure. Okay, so Jill Rosniak's heading out. The dad is not happy about this. She leaves. I get the impression this is not a happy household. Like, before there was a recently deceased son. Like, I think that yeah. there was other stuff going on. Yeah, he's he's an incredibly abusive man. He is, certainly. And I kind of actually think that, um, considering, obviously, this is like an inherently very silly film that is filled with characters who are playing, or like actors who are playing these very hyper-real roles and stuff like that. I actually think that Billy's mum is played off pretty sympathetically. Yeah, she also is played off as if, how how best to say this delicately, as if there's something a wee bit wrong with her. I don't know, I kind of, this could could be a grieving thing but I think that the way that she's kind of trying to be normal and stuff like that and her husband is just resolutely not doing that I think it's really interesting and it's kind of sad Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I actually, I I think that she's pretty good. But yeah, Jill's gone uh, the dad kind of shouts at her, goes outside he's stared down by an ominous looking snowman which is hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, the, the, the conflict between him and the snowman is really quite funny. Well, he's a little bit slow in the uptake. He doesn't necessarily put it together right away that it is the snowman that is sassing him and asking him for cigarettes and all this kind of thing. <laughs> so I must admit, when I realised that the snowman was going to talk, I kind of hoped it would, but when I realised it was going to, I was thrilled. Right, sure, sure. But do you think it works better then with Jack Frost being able to speak as a snowman rather than being a mute icy assassin I think that given that what we're watching is a horror comedy yes I think that the fact that he is a raspy one-liner dispensing killer snowman rather than a silent assassin I think is better I'm not sure I laughed at any point you say horror comedy no that's true I think that like it's a better idea in theory for him to talk <laughs> put it that way but yeah, the uh, the dad advances into the night, hears a voice, gets kind of irritated, advances into the night with an axe, walks straight past the snowman. Classic error. I mean, common sense prevails. And if it had, then perhaps he wouldn't have been in the situation when the snowman disarms him and jams the axe handle into his mandible. <laughs> wow. But that, that's, how, that's how that unfolds. Right, thanks. Uh, are you the medical examiner? <laughs> and the tournament isn't over for the Rosniak family, because now you've said it, I'm installing that as being their surname. Well, I did just IMDB it, and I'm fucking way off the mark. Is it like Smith or something? It's Metzner. So the tournament isn't over for the Rosniak family. <laughs> sure. <laughs> because uh, the wife slash mom, not long for this world either. Yeah, I really love this, but... It's really good death, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite rough as well. Like, it's really quite violent and we do get at this point i think the first key insight into one of jack's big kind of like uh one of kind of superpowers if you like which is the ability to pass through solid objects by melting himself down to water and then reconstituting himself on the other side which he does to a degree that is boring <laughs> it's a yeah it, like, it gives him a versatility that uh, does make him as a villain extremely one note and dull and also makes any means of defeating him feel like a massive logic cheat <laughs> yeah 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 he's a preposterously difficult person to destroy <laughs> yeah it's like they wrote themselves into a corner and then just realised that the best solution or the best route out of that was to just not give a fuck about the fact they wrote themselves into a corner <laughs> yeah yeah well, I think once you've realised that your logic has fucked you, then logic's out the window. Yep, 100%. And then, yeah, there's there's no attempt to unpick that knot whatsoever. It just <laughs> cheats and cheats and cheats until it gets over the finish line. It's fucking ludicrous, actually. I hate the third act of this one, but we'll get there. <laughs> because, yeah, like you say, this is a good death, actually. Because she's ultimately, she is strangled by Christmas lights, electrocuted, and has the star from the top of the tree jammed into her forehead. But then J- uh, Jack repeatedly smashes her face into a box of bobbles. Oh, so true. Which is horrible. You know that bit in Home Alone when Marv comes through the window and he's got like he's already got his shoes off because they're like stuck on tar, mm-hmm. and he jumps into the kind of waiting pile of glass bottles. Mm-hmm. That always makes me feel like really ill. Yeah, like puts a tremor through you. Yeah, and I'm uh, just like, God, I'm, it's a fucking face just being jammed repeatedly into a, what is ultimately a box of broken glass. It's pretty amazing, and I actually think that like. In terms of like, because like I say, we've spoken about this already, the practical stuff in this film is not good. No, it's not um, the best. But I think that when you see her, the kind of the aftermath of this, it's not bad. 
I mean, it's the whole thing's intentionally massively over the top. Aye, exactly. So exactly. the makeup kind of follows. Yeah, and I think that, and I think that this is probably one of the moments where that makes the most sense. I mean, I would have been actually blown away if there'd been this really earnest attempt to make the special effects look super realistic. Hundred percent. Yeah, no, I'd have been exactly. like, "That's really jarring that they've made those baubles smashing into her face, like like those massive lacerations and all that on it." It's just like bits of coloured glass sticking out her face. It's like, honestly, surprisingly authentic. <laughs> Yeah, but had a medical consultant. This is turning into a day for Sam. He goes to work, and at this point, Manners has made his way across the country. He's intervening, and not only this, but the case is being taken off Tyler as well. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, one of the deputies in the background is eating from a snowman-shaped Pez dispenser. Love it. Uh, it's also at this point that the crime scene investigators go and do make the suggestion that whoever killed this family melted through the door and then reconstituted on the other side. Given that there is no evidence beyond what we've seen, like there's no evidence for this being a homicidal snowman. It is unbelievable how credibly this theory is treated from the very beginning. Yeah, the, the only reason they kind of get away with this is that there was no sign of... Uh, some, something like there was no sign of forced entry or... Yeah, there's no sign of forced entry, so literally the only other explanation is that he melted himself down, passed through the door, reconstituted himself as a snowman, murdered him, or murdered them, and then left again. I've got to be honest with you, Mitch. The more you're saying it, the more believable it sounds. <laughs> so I can kind of see how they came out of that way of thinking. Sam puts on a brave face to address the Snowman Festival at this point. Which is mobbed. <laughs> Absolutely fucking stowed out the door. There's yeah. about 20 people there. He's there to announce curfew, 24-hour curfew, which I think is a fairly mild response to the fact that four people are dead in this town now or something. And also, kind of pointless, given that they now believe the killer to be a matter-shifting snowman that can get into your house no matter what you do. That's very true, actually, yes. It is an absolutely toothless gesture, really, isn't it? <laughs> uh, Chekhov's furnace. Yep, wee wee glance at Chekhov's furnace. Yep, sure. Yep, never introduce a furnace in Act 1. You don't use to incinerate someone in Act 3. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, friendly neighbour Paul, who we met earlier briefly, is uh, starting to lose his mind. What we didn't mention is he actually walks in in the immediate aftermath of uh, Billy's mum being murdered by the Christmas tree. Yes, that's correct, actually. That, and that bears mentioning, because that's a contributor to why he's deteriorating so rapidly. Well, yeah, he did see a snowman murder a woman. So, I, I guess... If anyone's going to be kind of propagating this theory that there's a murderous snowman in the loose, this guy's probably at the forefront of that. Chief exponent of that theory, I believe. Yeah, yeah and if it's reinforced by the medical examiner, then, then the evidence behind that is kind of gaining some weight. Oh yeah, the people behind this have some credentials. <laughs> yes, local shop owner and madman. <laughs> and clearly insane medical examiner. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> Just the corroboration you need. Uh, meanwhile, while this is going on, uh, a bumbling sidekick police officer gets killed. In one mm. of my favourite deaths, but also he had it coming because he was talking to himself so much. Uh, I know you're not a big fan of any character who decides to talk to themselves at length just to pass the time in a scene rather than just shutting up and enjoying the silence. Yep, hate it. Takes you out of it instantly. However, <laughs> um, when... <laughs> I was going to say, it takes it out of it completely. Apart when from that, that guy was talking to himself, I was just watching you and I could see you like fizzing in your seat. You were like fidgeting. You were like, this fucking guy. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. I just hate it. But um, he does end up getting run over by Jack Frost. And I think that when you realise that the snowman has matter shifted inside the police car and is driving it is one of my favourite individual moments in the I film. actually think this whole kind of exchange is quite funny. Like he's driving along, talking a lot of shit to himself. And he glances up and the road is blocked by an inanimate, or apparently inanimate snowman holding a stop sign. And he gets out and I think his plan is to beat the snowman to death with a shovel. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He 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 gets a shovel out of the boot and kind of returns looking purposeful. Yeah, and the snowman is gone, but it's now in the car in the driving seat and uh, runs him over. Uh, Yes, it's amazing. It's, I think, possibly my favourite death in the whole film. I think what I like the most about it, though, is how stupid it looks. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely ludicrous. <laughs> the and snowman driving a car is... It's pretty mighty, one. I think. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's, it's so, honestly so good. Um, at this point, Sam starts kind of pulling everyone together. He's kind of pulling everyone together into kind of one location. Sensible move, I guess. Um, and this includes a deputy kind of heading to his house, going to get Anne, taking her to kind of safety. <laughs> yeah. This scene in the house is really funny as well, because you think that she's going to be kind of beset by a snowman as well, and... There's like a a moment with a leaky sink and it's like, oh my god, it's Jack, he's coming in. But it's a a red herring, Jack's nowhere to be found. This is just water. Yep, it's literally just normal water. Just just, just water from a pipe. How paranoid would you get after a while just of any water anywhere? Mm. Oh yeah, anytime there's any puddle. (laughs) (laughs) This scene is ludicrous, you're you're right. It's a red herring. It's a lampoon. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a frosty lampoon. It's, 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 not, it's not Jack Frost, it's just plain old plumbing problems. After they're gone, uh, Jill and Tommy appear and they break into the sheriff's house to have sex? That is correct. Why it's the sheriff's house, I've got no idea because that... It's, it's particularly brazen. It's crazy to break into anyone's house to have sex, right? Agreed. It's crazy to break into your town's principal lawman's house to have sex. Yes, I think I would be trying to keep that away from law enforcement. But they're not just breaking in to have sex. They break into the wine. They're like, they've got very little care. Oh yeah, they're not discreet. No, they're not at all. They've got very little care for the house at all. Also, Jill's brother just died. Like, this very day. Yeah. And she has no idea that she's now an orphan. I mean, that's also true. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like, she's, 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 I would say that she's coping with the death of her brother in a fairly unusual way. And, but like I say, yeah, also not aware of the fact that. Ah, but Horny's Horny, Mitch. She can't just turn that off. (laughs) Horny doesn't take a vacation. Horny Horny doesn't take compassionate leave. No, Horny does not respect bereavement. What's the cutoff for being an orphan? Christ, I'm not, I'm not having this conversation with you. (laughs) No, I mean, like, to me, an orphan's a a child. Like Annie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So would she be an orphan or would she just be... I mean, I guess, I mean, like, it would still be technically the definition of it. Right. You know? Mm. You you look dubious, but... Well, I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't feel like we should get too hung up on the semantics of this, to be sure, honest. Sure. But we can move on. I think it's really funny that, obviously, Jill and Tommy are kind of like, they're getting ready to get kind of amorous, but also it is theoretically very cold. So the montage, where they're, the montage where they're undressing, I feel like I'm watching them undressing for like 20 minutes. And when it gets to the end of it, they're both still head to toe covered up in long johns. Yeah, it's like they've got hats on, scarves on, gloves <laughs> on, jumper cardigan like they've got layer upon layer of winter clothes on. <laughs> I feel like the film, is, like the film is bludgeoning me to death with how incredibly unsexy this is <laughs> yeah it's like they're not even like taking their clothes off sexily either it's like really fast really aggressive stripping like they're like whipping scarves off their necks yeah I, I, I feel like I'm watching it like kind of sped up <laughs> Yeah, you're right though. Once this incredibly long and drawn out montage ends, they're still very heavily clothed. Very, very heavily clothed. But she basically says that, she, uh, you know, if you want me, you got to kind of set the tone. Ooh. You know, roaring fire. Oh, he actually, I just made that noise and it reminded me that he makes that noise quite a lot. He makes horrible noises. He's he like, makes horrible noises during this entire thing. Mm. Yeah, like that. Yeah. Uh, horrible. Horrible. Yeah. It's no less horrible when you do it. Because I'm looking you in the eye. Looking yes. you dead in the eyes. Please stop that. Uh, Jack sneaks in at this point, but... It, well, I say at this point, there is kind of a... <laughs> it kind of stokes the tension a little bit um, before this, including I love the sinister music that suggests that the ice in the fridge is up to something. What? So when he, when, he, when he opens the door to put the ice for the wine, and it's like... Dun, 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 dun. But did you notice there was a frosty carrot in there? So yeah, like, I did. The, the, the carrots to like throw you off, and you're like, oh, fuck. There's a carrot. That's him. He's in the freezer. <laughs> it's just like it's just like just a freezer full of ice and an axe and, and a carrot and an axe handle. <laughs> and at this point, kind of Tommy has to kind of face off against Jack by himself because at this point, Tran and Elizabeth Jill, she's wandered off. She's about to dry her hair. She's about to dry her hair. Correct. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, she heads off when Jack the way Jack enters here. How there's this kind of noise outside that kind of dupes. He throws a snowball at the window. Yeah, and he kind of. But he, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> and he eventually kind of like uh, Tommy's kind of duped into opening the door. And when he opens the door, see the snow backhander that Jack gives him to knock him on his head. Like with a big fake fucking snow hand. hand. It's amazing. Um, it knocks him on his arse. Comes in. Uh, Tommy very unceremoniously killed at this point. Well, Jack realises that he has a new power that he was previously, well, I assume previously unaware of, and that is that he can fire icicles out of his hands. Yeah, which is a handy trick that he never uses again. Well, it's not the last you see of an icicle. That's true, I guess. uh, As used again, although... I I I think never again is a projectile. No, far less velocity. Aha, definitely, definitely. So, yeah, at this point, there is an element of this film that I believe is aged quite poorly. I don't know if it was ever a, uh, if it was ever a good scene. Yeah, you know what? Actually, yeah, saying that it's aged poorly kind of makes the implication that it was ever a good idea. Yeah, this is about I was talking about earlier, where there's I guess if there was ever comedy to be found in this scene, it's the fact it's a snowman. Yeah. Uh, aside from that, it's it's just not a scene that's uh, a great idea. It's amazing how often when you watch back scenes from like you know 1996. This was seven. No, I think it was shot around ninety six. Yeah, so like, so like, I mean, this. I mean, obviously, this wasn't last week, but it doesn't feel like that long ago. Yeah, and it's incredible how misjudged some of these things can feel. 
so what we have here is Shannon Elizabeth believes that uh, Tommy's ran out of bath. Um, and she gets disrobes, gets in the bath, and there's an incredibly long montage of her pouring water over herself. And then she starts complaining about the fact that the water's getting too cold very quickly. Uh-huh. A carrot bobs to the surface. Yep. And then the bath water turns to snow. Yes, I believe snow rather than ice, yeah. Yeah, and um, Jack kind of... I mean, all, all this stuff's quite good up to this point. I mean, if it was just a straight-up killing... Or a freezing, yeah. Or a freezing, yeah, that would have been that would have been okay. But, I mean, what, what we have is a pretty aggressive uh, snowman rape scene. Yeah, ultimately, she's killed in this. I, I've got to say, I think that the version we just watched is cut. Because I remember that being more graphic. And for the record, what we watched was the Amazon Prime yeah, I, I uh, have version, a memory but, yeah. of an icicle dick. Right, okay, I see. Okay. Which is shown in more more detail. I'm kind of thankful that didn't happen in the yeah. watch. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a strange one. And I'm quite happy to just kind of uh, just basically say that we lose Jill at this point and this scene sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, I but if I, if, I, if I have to say it again... Don't use rape as a joke, even if it is a snowman. Yeah, I was going to say, just in general, like, like let's let's not dig for comedy there because there's none. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Elsewhere, though, at this point, uh, Manor's still hell-bent on keeping Sam out of the investigation. And I think at this point, I think that actually the scene we just talked about marks what for me is this film hurtling off the rails. Like, because I, I think, like, I mean, at no point when I've been watching this am I under any illusion that I'm watching a good film. But also, I kind of like—I kind of feel like it's—it's it's entertaining enough. The wheels get the wheels are turning, kind of thing. I think that it's a steep drop at this point, <laughs> because most of our kind of remaining gathered protagonists have a bit of a face-off with Jack here. Very silly. Before that, there's a lot more bureaucracy circulating around this killer snowman. So much bureaucracy. It's—it's it's weird that they're so that like they're defending their technology so strongly. I kind of yeah, I kind of, I kind of feel like there's actually quite a lot of kind of awkward red tape stuff in this, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at one point, the, the doctor guy suggests that they call the company, and that really enrages Manners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. kind of shadowy organization, presumably that controls the acid. <laughs> I don't, I don't fucking know. Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this is where this is where science and like uh, kind of shadow agencies start coming into it, and it all gets very strange. Yeah, I was gonna say, but this is also it's kind of like alluded to enough to be a plot point, but also not enough to be consequential in any way. Which I actually just kind of feel it kind of just kind of muddies the water a little bit of where it ends up going. It's almost as if the story of a murderous snowman didn't stretch to a feature on its own. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I could have done with another killing place or some of that stuff. Yeah, I would agree. And I mean, like at this point, we do have a like I said, a couple of really f- kind of very silly face-offs between uh, the kind of remaining good guys, as it were, and uh, Jack Frost, including one that I really like, where Manners tries to kind of repel him by firing indiscriminately into a puddle. <laughs> Which kind of reminds me of, um, have you ever seen Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones? I have seen Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones. It's, I think there's something to be said for the fact that, because it's a stupid thing to do, but it's what you would do in that situation where someone tries to uh, fend off a ghost by shooting at it. Yeah. <laughs> in the same way as, like, if you knew that it was a matter-shifting snowman that was killing people and a puddle appeared under your door and you had a gun in your hand, you would start shooting at it. Well, I'm sure by this point, we've seen Jack Frost be stabbed multiple times to little effect. There might even have been some bullets fired at Jack to this point. Before, I, absolutely, there was, there was. Before uh, Maddles unleashes a, a whole clip into a puddle. Yeah, <laughs> just, 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 just firing solidly into a linoleum floor. <laughs> uh, they start using de-icer as a weapon at this point, which, if it works, is a physics cheat, in my opinion, because we already know that whatever element you reduce him to, you can reconstitute. Tell you what's the most effective weapon against Jack Frost, it seems, and we do get a little bit of that here. Go on. Hair dryers. Hair dryers, yeah. He, he he cannot hack a hair dryer. He cannot stay constitutionally sound. In, in the presence fa- of a hair dryer. Yeah, in the face of the, the warmth of a hair dryer. When a hair dryer is bearing down upon him. <laughs> At this point, they are, like I said, they're using de-icer as a kind of repellent from Jack. Marla, Manners, the Doctor, Paul. Sam, Paul. The priest, maybe? Uh, potentially Father. still, uh, yes. Uh, they all escape. At this point, there is so much de-icer and antifreeze in the house that it blows up when Manners shoots at it? Question well, it's police station. Mm. Um, and Sorry, the police station. I, I don't know why the police station has so many cans of de-icer, but they, they set them all to 
continually spray down this corridor in the hope that Jack can't make it down. Uh, yeah, which almost looks like it works, but they basically they end up blowing up blowing up the police station, and I really enjoy the moment where he kind of terminators himself back together. <laughs> really badly. But really haphazardly, so his head's like <laughs> stuck onto the side of his torso, pointing the wrong way. So, uh, which is like, yeah, kind of um, a solid morsel of a good joke in a third act that I think is a little bit starved of entertainment value for <laughs> at least some of the time. I actually think that the scene in the corridor in the police station with the de-icer is interminable. Like, it's, it's, oh, it's, it's I feel, like, oh, you feel like no, you're watching it for 20 minutes. You can't get out the window. The queues are at the other end of the corridor. You've got to make your way back. And it seems to last forever, this battle to the end of the corridor through clouds of de-icer and then back. It's Although it's given some kind of level of levity when uh, Jack clatters into the window at the end because he doesn't have his eyes. That is funny. That is funny. <laughs> it, ju- like, it just about gets away with it because that lands. At this point, Sam's finally twigged that the doctor that came with manners may not be all that he appears to be. Interrogates him and he reveals that the entire process and the entire um, experiment <laughs> with the acidic substance from the beginning... Chekhov's acidic solution sure. um, was actually an experiment, admittedly an experiment that was never intended to be tested on humans, but an experiment about the durability of the human soul. Right, I have a slightly different read on that. Okay, I'd be welcome to hear a competing theory. So Jack was an anomaly, he was an accident. As we know, this was never meant to be tested, or it had never been tested, not even on an amoeba, as mm-hmm. we know. The chemical was designed to help humans survive a nuclear holocaust. Right, okay. Um, presumably they would be able to reconstitute themselves in the aftermath of a radioactive blast. Sure. But what the creation of Jack has shown the doctor guy is that the soul exists as a chemical within the body. Right. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, I got you. Right. It's <laughs> a lot of fucking tosh. At this point, I really like it when they're trying to hypothesize about how to kill him. And I can't remember who it is that says it, but someone says, we tried blowing him up and that just pissed him off. <laughs> Well, there's a brief plan uh, that they, they, they kind of throw around the idea that of containing Jack in a waterproof container so that he can't leak out. <laughs> yeah, I really would have liked to have that been what they ended up doing. It's uh, kind of what they do. It's the kind of what they do, I guess. Yeah, but um, at this, but they do ultimately. Uh, and this is ludicrous, but it seems to work. Ultimately, they coerce him downstairs and into a basement using. Hair dryers, hair dryers, a wall of hair dryers. Yeah, but, aye, like f- like four to six hair dryers. Uh, to get him downstairs and into Chekhov's furnace. <laughs> so they use that to uh, turn him to steam. Needless to say, he reconstitutes himself as a snowman again because they really should have figured this out by now. Because he condenses against the cold window glass. Yep, I mean, like, but, but, but we know, if there's one thing we know, it's like whatever element you reduce him to, he can come back to life again. He can re- he can like he can come back together as a snowman. So I, it's astonishing to me that when they put him in the furnace, it's like, oh, thank God that's over because obviously it's not. And he and it isn't. He comes back as a giant snowball. As a giant snowball, he's also he's um he's he kills the doctor, whose kind of parting move is to vomit him out of himself. I quite like that bit. Yeah, like, I think it's he good. gets this big kind of growing goiter thing on his neck. Yeah, it's really cool. I like it. Yeah, I'm into that. If you'd asked me at the start of this to estimate how they would have eventually got him, or what the first kind of chink in his armour would be, huh. apart from the hair dryers, it would not have been this. So, By the way, just before you, you cannonball ahead, it's Manos and the Doctor are gone at this point. Manos has his face chewed off by Jack's icicle teeth. That is a crucial point. Yeah, that, yeah. In case anyone listening is like, but what about Manos? What about Manos? Yeah, yeah. Manos? Yeah, he has his face chewed off by icicle teeth. <laughs> Thanks for clearing up. Uh, but yeah, he kind of... Uh, so Jack Frost is bearing down on uh, Sam and his son Ryan. Yeah. He matter shifts into the car. They escape from the car. At this point, Jack eats some of the Chekhov's oatmeal. Check out, now this bit is extremely troubling to me because Jack starts screaming and there's steam coming off his face and a large portion of his head melts away. Yep. And because of this oatmeal that he's eating and I was like, is it in my head? I was like, is it salt? Because I mean, I'm a sugar in my porridge kind of guy. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how you feel about that. I, no, from no particular preference, but yeah, right, you don't have a horse. In this race. I do. I have good no dog in this fight. <laughs> right, sure. Uh, well, that was what I was thinking, but it turns out that Ryan gave his dad oatmeal laced with antifreeze because in his kind of childlike naivete, didn't want him to be cold. He's not a child. He's thirteen or fourteen. Okay, so what he said was him not wanting to be cold, but obviously dead ass doesn't want his dad to die. Yeah, he planned on poisoning his dad to death, and it's never mentioned. 
everyone thinks it's delightful because it's ended up killing Jack Frost, but it's com- by complete happenstance that it kills Jack Frost, or at least that it's the first kind of like the sign that he's weakening. Uh, Question. Yeah. Oh God. Okay. Go on. Why does Jack Frost now have a fleshy head? Yes, I don't know. I don't know why when he ingests the oatmeal, it gives his it fills his head with human tissue that starts corroding. I don't have an answer for that. That doesn't seem to add in. No, unless the chemical had started wearing off or something, but I- I'm not going to dig too deep into that. No. Well, I think we should also not dig into too much is more kind of snowman hunt and chase nonsense which at this point I am incredibly sick of I thought like you were I going to say the blatant product placement surrounding uh, Sam's Timex Indiglo watch, <laughs> this, this, which this. we see with alarming regularity that is I turned very it. aggressively in towards the camera <laughs> I used to have show off the thing about the Indiglo was the cool light that it had I'm just amazed they didn't oh yeah like I like considering they went to the trouble of having it in there I'm surprised they didn't do that yeah but we're coming down to it, Mitch. The final battle. Sam versus Jack. Sam versus Jack. Yeah, this is also interminable. <laughs> I mean, like, at this point, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I'd been entertained, but it feels like a distant memory. At this point, I am, like, aggressively willing to stand. Really? Are you not even, like, kind of interested on in how it's all going to come together when, like, Paul starts filling the flatbed of his truck full of antifreeze. I don't feel like the film is interested in tying its ends together um, <laughs> in any kind of case of ways. I don't feel like I should be. But what I will say is actually, yeah, right. So obviously, so Jack and Sam are kind of having this kind of face-off, this struggle. And meanwhile, Paul is filling the back of his pickup truck full of antifreeze. Sam gets stabbed by one of Jack's uh, extended icicles. He does indeed, yeah. yeah. But I do think that like kind of in one of those kind of like, oh, that's you just rebuilt quite a lot of goodwill there kind of moments. Sam forces Jack out of a first story window. The window shatters and they land in the flatbed. This is actually a really good stunt. It is a really good stunt. Apparently it was a first taker as well. Oh, excellent. Done in one take, boom. Consummate professionals. So they land in the flatbed full of antifreeze, right? And we know that that's Jack's kryptonite, right? And he has been, obviously, being reduced to constituent parts. Yeah, sure. Right? But antifreeze is a pretty potent chemical. Surely this would render Sam blind or incredibly ill. I think that this film is very happy to use the fact that antifreeze defrosts things sure. as a plot point and is willfully blind to literally every other property of antifreeze. Like the fact that it's an extremely dangerous potent chemical. Yes, because there's a lot of splashing around that goes on here, both with Sam himself and also with uh, Ryan. Yeah, because uh, one of Jack kind of lopped off arms attacks right and tries to drag him into the antifreeze and yeah there's a lot of this I mean everyone gets exposed to this extremely potent chemical and nobody suffers any ill effects whatsoever that little boy would be honestly he'd be blind he'd have horribly uh, burned I tell you what he would have I think he'd have extreme lung damage from breathing in fumes yep yep yep, yep. they'd both be in a hell of a state but no all that's fine like, there's no negative, negative repercussions for anyone. Um, it does look like the dad's baptising Ryan in antifreeze at one point. It does seem like he's saved by an antifreeze baptism, like, doesn't it? Just dunking him repeatedly. Yeah. And I mean, like, yeah, he's, he's saved by an antifreeze baptism because at this point, sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, carry on. So the remains of Jack are buried in an antifreeze container. Several antifreeze Several antifreeze containers. It kind of bubbles up ominously, which is our kind of ender and our kind of leaving it open for a sequel moment. Yeah, um, and, and, and this is, for all intents and purposes, the end of this film. Yep, second film in a row, by the way, that we've covered on the show that ends with a extremely slow, morose version of Silent Night. Also happens at the end of Body. Right, all right, okay, yeah. yeah. So the sequel, I don't really know much about at all. Like I say, I haven't seen it. It came out in 2000. Okay. <laughs> the only thing I can tell you about it is that it's called Revenge of the Mutant Killer Snowman. Yeah, give me that. I'll watch that. I mean, like, realistically, like, you know, I'm, I'm talking about this, like, it's like, oh, I found the third act to be extremely boring. I'd watch another one of these. <laughs> and then there was going to be a third one, but the guy that played Sam died. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I, th- there was a third one in the works. Well, as regular listeners will know, I was not one of those people that watched horror from when they were very young and sure. things like that. Um, it obviously took me much, much longer. I still remember this film existing when <laughs> it came out. Like, I remember, uh, I remember seeing it in kind of video shops. And stuff like that. And I'm not conflating it with the Michael Keaton one. I remember this kind of like when I was about 10 or 11 or whatever it was. This kind of vaguely scary VHS cover being on the shelves and places and stuff like that. Yeah, because it is an extremely scary... I mean, the, the snowman on the front cover has little to no actual similarity to Jack in the film. Oh, God, no, 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 no. And like, so 
going into this, I kind of assumed that I would be watching something where the production value be a little higher and stuff like that. I wasn't ready for this to feel more like a kind of an Ice Cream Man or a Truth or Dare or Critical Madness. I think... uh... I would put it more in line with things like Ice Cream Man and yeah. more in line with things like Demon Wind. Yeah, I would say that's fair. That's, that's it the, does, yeah, both it reasonable. Comp- yeah, I think so. I think so. Not necessarily in a way that, because I mean, I think that the film kind of embraces it in a way that I think is entertaining. I mean, there's only. I really don't know how serious you can go on this one. No, I agree. I mean, I don't. Th- I don't think. I don't think that you can really analyze it at any level beyond the superficial. I don't Although, think it's designed for that. I did see that originally. Rennie Harlan wanted to make it. Wow. Uh, who, obviously, we've talked about Dream Master. Yeah, Elm Street 4. But he was wanting to toss around a $30 million budget onto this. Good God. Could you imagine? I mean, kind of. I kind of want to see what could be done with it with a lot of money behind it. I want $30 million in Jordan Peele. That's what I want for a remake. <laughs> I think that this was a fun one to end the year on. I think that... Yeah. Uh, I think that it was a good selection. I think that I think that you you did well there. I think that um, I don't think I did well. I mean, what I'm going to sit here and say is, um, um, people who listen to the show, I hope you watch it. Yeah, just to kind of make the listening a little easier. Yeah, because I understand that this is probably a little bit scattershot. Yeah, but what I would say is, aside from that, I don't really see a massive amount of reason to watch Jack Frost. No, I'd say it's probably true. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I think that like we've had some fun talking about it, and if and if, <laughs> It's bad. It's like you should watch it to get the most out of the discussion, and for no other reason. I mean, it's a weird one. It is a weird one. It's a very odd beast, and it's so cheap. It's not going to enter anyone's Christmas rotation. Not really. No, and I don't know. I kind of feel like there are very few films that we've talked about this year that I wouldn't say, "Oh, go and just watch it." You know, it's like if you've got an hour and a half to kill, just watch it, see what you think. Run your eye over it. Have an opinion. I don't know if I would go back to things like there are monsters. Oh, shut up. I don't know if I would go back to stage fright. Um, what else? I'm not entirely sure I would go back to body. Get yourself to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, Jack Frost's out there and it's it's silly and it's daft. And I mean, I, I do think that that one scene in particular kind of hamstrings the rest of the film a little bit. I think that that is certainly true. I think that like that it, it, it kind of can't recover from it and it kind of doesn't recover from it. I've never seen Shannon Elizabeth talking about it in anything. Can I imagine why that would be? <laughs> and with that, I guess that we are done both with this episode and with 2019, the first strong language and violent scenes. Wow. What a year. Yeah, it's been an amazing year. A uh, couple more live shows, more yeah. festivals. Jeez, from JK to Adam Marcus, or Austin again, technically, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, for the, for all the time we had him. Yeah. We've had an amazing year. We've had another great year. And obviously that has got a lot to do, everything to do, with uh, both the guests who have taken so much time out of their schedules and been really generous with their time. Yeah, some of them we can't get rid of like when they're in an episode. Yeah. Like, we need to go. Uh, yeah, which is which has been amazing, and obviously everything to do with you guys as well. Thank you so much for spending another year just talking to us, listening, telling your friends, all that kind of thing. Really does mean the world. And to come to another year knowing that we're kind of flying into twenty twenty with you guys behind us still it means the world. It's amazing, and I just want to thank the guys at Celluloid Screams for giving us another chance this year. The guys at Fright Fest for being so supportive this year. Yep. Uh, the guys at Arrow Video for always being super cool and giving us bags full of stuff to hand out. It's stuff that we're doing. Um, all of this stuff's just, it's so, so lovely. Yeah, it's, it just it never stops being an absolute riot and uh, it wouldn't be worth it if it wasn't for you guys. So thank you so much for yeah. all that. Yeah, guys, uh, th- it's absolutely amazing. We have no intention of stopping this. So, I mean, we've already got guests lined up for 2020. So... It's true, we're weirdly ahead of the curve. <laughs> we are, yeah, uh, which is unusual. Perhaps we're finally getting the hang of this. Who knows, who knows? Half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're coming up on episode 100 yeah, and we've got we've got some really big plans for twenty twenty as well. We've got more live shows in the pipeline. We've got more live shows booked. Yeah, we're going to be getting around a little bit more, I think, as well, which is going to be fun. And uh, yeah, we've got some like I said, we've got some guests lined up. We've got some big ideas for episode one hundred. We hope you guys stick around. Yeah, we really do because as we've said a million times, there's no point us doing this without you guys because otherwise it's just me and Mitch screaming at each other across the table. Yeah. <laughs> which is fine. Yeah, but you don't really need microphones for it, do you? We don't. We don't. <laughs> we had microphones before the podcast. That's so true. They just weren't plugged in. Just for amplification purposes. So, pending any surprises, we will be back in 2020. 
We will. Yeah, January the 6th. January the 6th. We'll be back with the first mini-sode of the new year. Please do join us for that. If you want to get in touch between now and then. And we'll please be... do. Yeah, please do. Yeah, um, it would be lovely to hear from you guys. And you can do that through all the usual channels. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. And you can, of course, email Scenes at gmail.com. Yeah, because while we may be away for new, like across Christmas and New Year, we'll still be posting stuff. We'll still be around. Oh, like, yeah. We'll still be replying to people's tweets. And... Never far away. But you can find us at strongviolentpod.com. Sure can. Which is obviously our website. Mm-hmm. And it contains a non-exhaustive list of podcast providers and links and all that stuff where you can go and listen to us wherever you please. It's also got links to our T Public page, which is just about going to be updated with a new shot. Oh. And yeah, you'll, you'll find all our live stuff there as and when we announce it. From Andy and me, have a great Christmas and a very happy new year. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Merry Christmas. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.